The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their Best Ball Mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. There are no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season, and the highest score at the end of the year wins. The champion of Best Ball Mania last year drafted in June, so there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to, head to Underdog Fantasy or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wednesday afternoon edition of Unexpected Points. I am your host, the always humble senior data scientist at PFF, Kevin Cole. You can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. Just me today. I will have convenient foil and collaborator of the pod, Josh Hermsmeyer, again on next week to discuss some bold takes on what will happen in the 2022 NFL season. As we all know, Josh has some bold takes. Um, But for today, we're going to review the biggest storyline, the biggest non-Deshaun Watson storyline of the week. And I hit most of the Deshaun Watson stuff on Monday. We're still suspended in air right now, waiting to figure out whether or not Roger Goodell will decide to move forward and appeal the verdict that had him uh, from the arbitrator that has Watson out for the first six games of the season. Uh, Just as a a little point here, I know a lot of people are going to point to the year-long suspension, though it was reported by Tom Pelissaro from the NFL Network that the NFL was willing to go as low as 12 games in their negotiations on that suspension. So it'll be interesting to see if they do appeal, which they may not. If they do appeal, if the ultimate ruling will go for the full season, the full year, going all the way for it, or whether or not they'll end up saying, you know what, we're okay just making this the 12 games that we originally wanted and we're willing to negotiate to. Well, I'm not sure which one will end up happening, but I think there does present a little bit of a, you know, not not double jeopardy, but a little bit of an issue if they're not going to negotiate down further from 12 and the Watson and his people decide to go ahead and risk whatever the arbitrator is going to come out with. The arbitrator comes out with six. And then if the NFL appeals and goes all the way up to the year, it starts to get a little bit dicey as far as how these things will play out in the future. Although there are obviously a lot of people who want it to go much, much further there. But what we are going to spend a lot of time on, at least in the beginning half of this, is discussing the penalties that came down from the NFL office, another concurrent investigation, which a lot of people, including myself, had forgotten about a little bit. And those were the investigations into the Miami Dolphins for tampering with Tom Brady, and as we find out, also tampering with Sean Payton, and then whether or not they were quote-unquote tanking. And I thought one of the, the funniest parts of this whole 
write-up that they had come out from this. And many people have been there to mock it or not mock it. I'll, I'll give you my take on why I think that the penalty was maybe not the harshest thing that it possibly could have been, was fairly harsh in the context of what the NFL has done to other teams in the past for this type of behavior. Although every type of behavior is a little bit unique and a little bit different. But I will say it was it was funny that they literally called it tanking in quotes when they were talking about they didn't say, you know, competitive uh, misbalance or, you know, integrity. Those words might have been thrown out there, but the actual subject heading was tanking, talking about what the Dolphins did in the 2019 season and whether or not Stephen Ross, the owner, was encouraging that. So let's let's first go over the details there for that. Then I'm going to talk about the implications for the Dolphins, because there are a lot of sliding doors types of moments for the Dolphins when we talk about what could have happened with Brady, what could have happened with Sean Payton, what could have happened in the draft in 2020 if their 2019 record wasn't as good as it was, despite the fact that I'll present the case that they probably were the worst team in the NFL talent-wise that season. So all of those different sliding doors, which has now led them to Tua being their quarterback, And then thinking a little bit also about the moves they made to trade back out of the number three pick in the 2021 draft, which was loading up on more picks for next season, a quarterback rich draft, which now they forfeit their own pick and they only have the 49ers pick left in that draft. So a lot of different angles to hit this because I think it could be a franchise defining moment if it affects what they're going to do with the quarterback position next year where they're really ramping through this rebuild now and they've built up a lot of different pieces they're way in when it comes to Tyreek Hill and others what they're paying for them so they're ramping this up and what can end up happening now going forward if they cannot pivot at quarterback and they're locked into Tua if Tua cannot perform this year and I do have some evidence that maybe you will be able to perform I'm going to discuss some of that looking back hearkening back to how Alex Smith took a leap in his career with Tyreek Hill there okay but let's get into the particulars for the uh, suspension slash draft picks lost for the Dolphins here so the NFL suspended Dolphins owner Stephen Ross until October 17th which is week four or five in the season doesn't seem that interesting. Strip the team of their, and this is the interesting part, their 2023 first round pick and 2024 third round pick for tampering violations. And the owner, Stephen Ross, is also barred from any league meetings until the annual meeting in 2023, has been removed from all league committees, and was fined $1.5 million. So what the report found, and I think the reaction that you may be hearing when people are commenting on this, it's going to be a little bit different than how I'm looking at it. Again, this podcast is called Unexpected Points for a reason. The main reason being I try not to get caught into what the ongoing narrative may be about a particular issue, or better yet, try not to be incentivized too much to lean into particular themes, knowing that that's what the the public in most senses may want or what will give you the most intention, attention, the most engagement, and so on. So I think in this particular case, My overarching feeling about this is that 
it is a pretty significant fine here. I know a lot of people are going to want to point out that it's not enough. I've heard multiple people comment saying, well, initially I thought that it was significant, but then the more I thought about it, it should have been even bigger. I think there's just way too much incentive for everyone here. And I'm always big on incentives. What are people's incentives when they're reporting different things, when they're angling, when they're giving you analysis, your incentive here, whether it's on social media, even podcasting form, if you can throw a clip up on the old uh, social media waves to get some attention saying, I think this is a reasonable fine and a somewhat harsh penalty that's appropriate is just milk toast, And you're not going to get anywhere with that. Where you will get somewhere with is making fun of the fact that the directives that were given from Stephen Ross to Brian Flores and others about potentially losing that season, that he's not being hit enough for that, that he's not being hit enough for everything else. Saying that it's not enough is what most people are going to want to hear, maybe outside of, you know, Finn Kingdom in Miami right now, where they're not going to want to hear it. But most of the other people are going to want to hear something that's very, very significant. I actually think this was a fairly reasonable fine for what was alleged. Now, what exactly did they find? Well, they found what they call impermissible communications, a.k.a. tampering between Tom Brady in 2019, 2020, and 2021, which hints at the fact that Brady's so-called retirement may have not been very genuine. It may have been more a part of a move to either move over to the Dolphins as a player and then eventually move into some sort of ownership or front office position the two could not be really had concurrently the ownership and the player side but that would have been the arc that they're looking there also contact with former saints coach sean payton who is still under contract with the saints in january of 2022 so neither person works for the organization so this is that's one part of that's the part that most people are thinking that they're actually being dinged for when it comes to the, the draft picks. The other part was investigating the claim by Brian Flores, part of his lawsuit against the Miami Dolphins in the NFL for discrimination, mentioning that he was encouraged to lose games, at least somewhat explicitly, but also maybe an implicit thing with the owner encouraging to lose games and even offering him $100,000 per game to intentionally lose in 2019 in order to up their draft position. I think the penalty in whole here is really about both things. I think people are separating this too much. I do think there was concern from the integrity side, but with both parts of this, the reason I think the first round pick and third round pick is a big fine here is a big consequence here is if you look to the past, everything else that's happened, this is the most significant team draft pick compensation loss as part of one of these investigations. Now there's only two other times that a team has lost a first round pick in any investigation. Famously the new England Patriots twice once as part of Spygate, where they were caught uh, videotaping jets practices and once as part of deflate gate. Uh, they lost a first round pick in Spygate. They lost a first round and a fourth round pick in in Deflategate. Now, the overall punishment, you could say, was bigger for Deflategate because of the fact that Tom Brady was also suspended for the first four games of, of the season. But when we're talking about integrity of the game, when we're talking about what has actually occurred here, without adjudicating whether or not Deflategate actually happened, 
did they deflate the balls, whatever was going on there, the back and forth of different analysis. The important part is they were found to have been liable for something. The NFL believed they did something. So if we go on that assumption that the NFL believed they had some sort of competitive advantage because of that, the fact that the, the, the fine here for the team, which has already been docked once before for a first round pick was a first and a fourth is less than what we're talking about for this violation. I think is important that building a competitive advantage in the AFC championship game. Again, I'm not saying they did this, but this is what they were assumed to have done as part of the penalty, building a competitive advantage in the AFC championship game in a year where they go on to win the Super Bowl still did not have as big of a draft pick fine as it did for this act. And if you look at some other things that had happened in the past, I mean, we have two second rounders were part of bounty gate. Of course, Sean Payton and a number of others were suspended for a year or partial parts of the season that was, that was going on there, but still two second rounders for all of bounty gate versus a first and a fourth here. And if you look at some of the other things that happened in the past, the Patriots lost a third round pick for taping the Bengals sideline just a couple of years ago. And maybe the most equivalent thing that you can point to here is the Carolina Panthers lost a second and sixth round pick for talking to Dom Capers way back in the day, uh, back in the, in the aughts about becoming their head coach, tampering with him when he was the Steelers defensive coordinator. Now he actually did become the head coach there. So there was something that actually happened and they lost a second and sixth round pick. As I mentioned for that, still not close to this here. Thinking about some other things that happened in the past, I mean, tampering with different players, no one on the level of Tom Brady, but the 49ers were once docked a fifth round pick and then had to do a pick swap with the Chicago Bears for tampering with Lance Briggs. The Lions in 2011 were docked a seventh round pick and they had to do a late pick swap with the Chiefs for tampering with Gerard Page. Again, not not a huge, not a big name player there, but very, very small picks. And there are also times where, you know, fake crowd noise was getting pumped into stadiums by the um by the Atlanta Falcons and I think that that for that one they lost a sixth round pick so those are pretty minor pick compensation fines versus what we're seeing here so I think this is substantial especially when I know this may have been brazen behavior and it may have been multiple attempts for Tom Brady and an attempt for Sean Payton who knows it might have even gone through if not for the Brian Flores lawsuit which pushed things off during Brady's interregnum retirement there but What's interesting about this Dolphins thing for me is Tom Brady, they tampered with, not on the team. Sean Payton, they tampered with, not on the team. The talk about Stephen Ross going around harping about their draft position vis-a-vis how many wins they have, and then also joking, I put that in quotes, joking about paying someone $100,000 to lose games. Of course, there was no agreement that was ever made on that. All of that clearly had no effect on what happened on the field for the Dolphins because in that season, the Dolphins had the worst grade in the NFL as a team, an overall team grade of 58.7, which was almost 10 points lower than the Bengals who were second last, yet they won five games. In fact, they won five of their last eight games that season after losing eight in a row. It would have been really easy after losing those first eight games to just continue losing out, moving forward, locking yourself into that number one pick if you were truly trying to do do that. They won five of the last eight, including winning 
three of the last five. This was not a team that was tanking in reality, regardless of whatever you may say that Stephen Ross was pushing or was hinting at or was intimating or wanted to, to move in that direction. Whatever sort of influence you would say, well, if an owner says this, then you know to do this. Well, it wasn't happening on the field. Now, did it eventually lead to Brian Flores being fired because of it? Well, I don't know. It came another year after the fact. It seemed like there were some strained relationships throughout the organization. It seemed like Brian Flores wanted to pursue Deshaun Watson also as part of this whole thing. So there were a few other things going in mind. So from what we know in a concrete fashion, this was a significant fine. And you may say that for Ross, maybe he should be fined a little bit more as part of this. The suspension means wherever the suspension means. And, you know, the $1.5 million is not too significant when it comes to a owner. Hey, 1.5 million, trust me, that hurts. That hurts no matter who you are if you lose $1.5 million. Him losing $1.5 million is not like us, you know, peons out here losing $100, even if you could try to do some sort of proportional workout with how much, you know, his net worth is versus how much our net worth is. For for Stephen Ross, it's it's going to hurt no matter what. Let's not try to pretend like it's not going to hurt to lose $1.5 million. Even if you're a billionaire, I think a lot of people are going to tell you, Hey, $8.2 billion still still hurts to lose a little bit of cash on top of that, especially when it is liquid. Okay, so let's digest a little bit more details behind this. Number one, I'm not really sure why post-2019 Brady would have necessarily been that coveted. I think it's hard to even look back and remember how many questions there were about Tom Brady after the 2019 season. He went out in a ignominious way, losing to the Titans in the playoffs, including a pick six there at the end of the game when trying to make a comeback. There were lots of questions about how effective that he would really be going forward after that time. And then, you know, talking to him during these other seasons, he was still under contract for two years when he came over to the Bucs. So I'm not sure how a realistic choice he would have been there. Now, a lot of people say, well, what if Brady was there and Sean Payton was come there next season? I mean, I love Brady. I know he's 45. He's still playing as well as ever. I'll believe it when I see it, if he's still continuing to play and be coveted as a player going forward. Uh, Number two, even if he would have come to the Dolphins that 2020 season, I mean, the Dolphins team was still not very good. They were coming off of being the worst team in the NFL in 2019, talent-wise. The offensive line was still horrible. Would, you know, 40-something-year-old Tom Brady have wanted to be there at this point in time? It just seems unlikely versus making that transition to Tampa Bay with the the solid wide receiver core that they had and then the offensive line that they were building there. Another thing is here, I don't know why teams are so obsessed with having these brand name executives or ownership type of people that are going in there. I mean, you can't really argue Michael Jordan has been successful anywhere he went. He went to the Washington Wizards first in the front office, then moving back on to play again. Did not help that franchise at all. Going over now to Charlotte, what good has he done there? Not not a whole lot, I would say, for that franchise. I think it's hard to argue that the skill set that you have there is going to play forward unless these owners just want to be able to hobnob with someone like Tom Brady and have them in their organization. Now, the big thing here from the consequences standpoint for the Dolphins is they don't have two picks, 
two first round picks now in the 2023 draft, but we're going to have a number of quarterback prospects coming out. At the very least, it'll be better than the 2022 draft where Kenny Pickett was the only quarterback selected in the first two rounds. So the Dolphins don't have that anymore. And not only did they lose this pick, they still have the 49ers pick and the 49ers are projected to be pretty good this year. So it's not going to be that high of a pick, but there are four other teams who have multiple picks in the first round, the Texans, the Eagles, the Seahawks, and I can't remember the the next one off the top of my head, but those, those other teams, there's four other teams that have multiple first round picks for competition and probably have a good chance of having a poor first round pick on their own who could be ready to jump there. And that is not available now to, to the Dolphins. And the reason that's important is Tua, let's face it at this point, is still a question mark for this team. There are lots of different things that could have happened. If they would have been able to successfully tank in 2019, they really wanted Joe Burrow. We know that the Dolphins tried to trade up to get to that pick and the Bengals wouldn't allow them. So Joe Burrow could have been there under one circumstance instead of Tua. I mean, Justin Herbert could have been there instead of Tua if they would have flipped their evaluations and the Chargers picking right after them probably would have ended up with Tua. So that's another sliding door there for the Miami Dolphins. If Tom Brady would have come, well, that kind of would have been the end of, of Tua at some point there also. So that would have a sliding door. A somewhat underplayed one, but something we can watch this season is if they would have held on to their third overall pick. And I thought they should have at least strongly considered holding on to that number three overall pick. And depending upon their quarterback evaluation, thought about someone there just to hedge with Tua. Even though Tua had only been in the league for one year, you could never have too much quarterback talent because, again, you don't know when you're going to be in a position to draft one of those again. So we're going to get our fill this this year, our likely fill of Trey Lance, who was selected at number three. And of course, Justin Fields and Mac Jones would have been other options that they could have pursued. And they could have even pursued those at six instead of pivoting and going towards towards Jalen Waddle. But that's another potential sliding door there where you say, hey, instead of having Jalen Waddle and now you've lost a first round pick that you acquired as part of that 49ers trade, you didn't actually lose the 49ers pick. You lost your own pick, but you lost a first round pick in 2023, which you doubled up on. Now you could have had maybe Trey Lance there. Who knows how much of a better fit he would have been throwing the ball downfield to someone like Tyreek Hill this year, not having Jalen Waddle, but still having Gesicki, still having Chase Edmonds coming out of the backfield, still having maybe Preston Williams could actually get some reps there as you've been complaining about recently. You still would have had some options there to work with. Uh, with Trey Lance there potentially instead of Tua and traded off Tua and maybe got some draft compensation pick there. So that's another potential sliding door. And the biggest one being, if Tua does not perform this season, what are you going to do next season? You're going to have to mortgage away the future, pretty much guaranteed mortgage away multiple picks in the future to try to get into position in a highly, highly competitive draft for quarterback talent. And this is going to be a timeline now with the rebuild, with all the extra picks that you accumulated after washing out, trading away Laramie Tunsil, trading away Minka Fitzpatrick, and then bringing in all these picks. You've been building towards this moment if the quarterback does not hit. And that's why it's important to sometimes duplicate at that position, continue drafting, continue looking elsewhere at that position. If that does not hit, this could really change the course and then lead in another year or two into 
a potential for more rebuilding, more of a soft rebuild, more of a grasping around at quarterback for the Dolphins. That is the real big negative from this situation if you look at it in that way. But let's talk about Tua for a second first because we've seen the highlights, the deep passes to Tyreek Hill. There's commenting on his arm strength being better. I mean, Tua was an accurate and effective deep passer in Alabama. But I think when you look at that Tyreek Hill highlight, for those uh, who who actually saw what was, was going on there, I think a key to it is really that the offensive line was stellar as far as allowing him to step up and throw into the ball. So while that's going to happen sometimes, it didn't happen a lot for – for Fortua when he was playing last season and the season before. But now you're going to see more so this year, if he can get a little bit more help and he can really step into throws, he can get it down the field. He's just not going to be able to do that in a way that maybe a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or others who can do it when the conditions are not ideal in the pocket. But I think it's instructive to look back on the career of Alex Smith and remember what happened with Alex Smith in the 2017 season, Tyreek Hill's second season in the NFL, when Hill stepped forward and Smith also stepped forward that season. So until that point, Alex Smith, before 2017, I think this is the route that you're going to want to say, this is where Tua can, can go. This is the evidence of depth of target being more about the receiver sometimes than being about the quarterback, no matter what quarterback you have, if you don't have a receiver can get open, you know, certain quarterbacks can always throw down the field because of their arm strength. Even if someone isn't open, other quarterbacks, their down the field passing is going to be much more highly affected and related to the receiver being able to get open down the field. That's probably more of the Tua. That's probably more of the Alex Smith combined with offensive line play that can hold up a bit here. So if you look at Alex Smith throughout his career, never had a top 10 PFF grade until 2017, never had a top 10 efficiency ranking in expected points added per play until 2017. He started off really hot that year, and he was the best deep passer in the NFL from an efficiency standpoint, How? because he still didn't throw it that often as some others, but from an efficiency standpoint, he was third in the NFL in the total expected points added on passes at least 15 year, yards in the air. And he finished, again, sixth in passing grade, sixth in EPA per play, way better than he ever had before because of that combination that he had with Tyreek Hill was a huge part of it. I mean, he had others there, Kelsey and others. Don't, don't get me wrong, Kareem Hunt had an outstanding rookie season that year. So you're not necessarily going to have all of those pieces. But opening things up for Tua this year is really what Tyreek Hill can do. But, and I'll say but here, even if Tua has a great year, just like Alex Smith, remember, sixth best grading, sixth best EPA per play, and somewhat of a down year for quarterback play in 2017. Even if that happens, the before that season, the Chiefs knew that they still had to look to upgrade over Alex Smith. So another question will be, if Tua does have this jump this year, gets to a top 10-ish sort of quarterback metric, and rating, will that then fool the Dolphins into keeping him when they could perhaps bring someone else in if they can get someone else now? Again, we're delayed in the process here, 
and we don't have the draft picks, if they can bring someone else in who could really have even that much more synergy with Tyreek Hill and bring them to the next level. These are all things that the Dolphins are going to have to consider as part of this. And it's going to be a complicated decision-making and calculus for them going forward, even more calculating and difficult because of the fact that they lost their first round draft pick next year. Okay, before I get on to what else is going on in camp that we have to be paying attention to right now, we're going to talk Manscaped. Gentlemen, all strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He is a big, hairless winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like to introduce you to the best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet. The Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in blow the waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code PFF. That's 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. It's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a Platinum Package for your Platinum Package. All right, what else is going on in the training camp world? Maybe I'll just quickly mention that Orlando Brown now is actually in the house uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. So um, I'll give myself some credit there for nailing that. There was no way that a player who had earned about $4 million was going to sit out any time this season when you can earn – 18 or no 17 on the franchise tag and present and potentially set himself up for a bigger payday next season. So that was a much of a story about nothing about him coming in or not. Tim Patrick, unfortunate for Tim Patrick that he tore his ACL and is out for the season. And what that means for the Broncos it could kind of go either way on part of this. We've talked a lot about whether or not it is a weak link or strong link system and whether you need competency in multiple positions or not. The the ultimate weak link system is the offensive line where if you don't have competency in one particular area, it can break down. It doesn't matter how well your left tackle is playing. If your right tackle is giving up a pressure every single down. Wide receiver traditionally has been thought of as a strong link system. Your one traditional prototype alpha wide receiver one target hog type let's think of someone like julio jones who could gather upwards of 200 targets in one game as long as you have that piece you can get away with having weaker pieces at other positions what's happening now more so with the way defenses are playing and are able to at least skew a bit and taking away the number one wide receiver there's more competent receiver play in the second and third receivers they're becoming more and more important as part of the landscape. Anyone who plays fantasy football can tell you that the traditional wide receiver ones are not as dominant, at least across the board, as they had been in the past versus wide receiver two or three. There's more scoring equity across the board there. And that means that receivers becoming more of a weak link system where you want to make sure you really have the competency. And the Broncos had not pretty much the ideal weak link system type of wide receiver core. When you talk about Judy Sutton and Patrick, those are three options of players who you would all put into talented. You would all put into maybe top. I don't know how high to go here. Top 40 ish, let's say wide receivers in the NFL. So if you have three top 40 wide receivers and there are 32 teams in the NFL, maybe top 50 for some, but if you have three of them, 
for 32 teams in the NFL, that gives you a lot more depth and more certainty and more ability, robustness to, to suffer when there's fragility. So that does hurt losing Patrick as part of this. And now you have the question mark, whether it be KJ Hamler stepping in, coming off of an ACL tear last year himself or someone else. There's been a lot of comparison to Hamler to Tyler Lockett and maybe what that fit is was with Russell Wilson. But the one thing I'll say about Tim Patrick, and this is what I like to do anytime that I'm looking at a player who has an unfortunate, has an unfortunate injury is to say the first thing that I'm going to do is let's go ahead and look at where they are on the old contract basis because, and first of all, if you're ever looking up contracts on online, Spotrack here seems to be dominant in being number one on there, but we don't, we do not patronize Spotrack here on this podcast. We we scroll down a little bit and get to my man Jason Fitzgerald's over the cap. So the first thing you do is you got to go and look at these guys and you say, you know what? While it's awful what happened to Patrick and it's bad for him as far as his ability to play this year and what could have been a great team, as a former undrafted free agent, he did get that contract. He got that contract last year. And it's important looking at that in particular because look at these career earnings. He has career earnings of $8.3 million. He was a UDFA. If you look at season by season, how much this guy was earning, he had 50000 dollars in 2017 uh about half a million in 2018 another half a million in 2019 three quarters of a million in 2020 so basically nothing through all that time if he would have suffered this acl injury right at that point even though he was starting to play better in 2020 who knows he may have never been heard from again right at that point instead he gets extended during the 2021 season you got cash paid of six point four million. Imagine that you'd only he'd only earned until that point less than two million dollars, and he got six point four million right there in that one season. And now this year, including a roster bonus, which he's already been paid earlier this year, he's going to get another eight point five million. Now, whether the Broncos keep him around next year at eight point five million, it'll be interesting. He has some protection in the fact that they converted his roster bonus to a signing bonus. So if they do cut him. They're not saving any cap. The Broncos are not going to save any cap next year if they cut him, although they will save having to pay out um, some of this, this guaranteed salary, but not a lot. He still has $5.5 million of guaranteed salary next year. So he looks like he's also in store to be kept on and to earn another $8 million last year after earning about that much this year. So, you know, bad timing for Patrick. I feel bad for him. A lot of people are seem to be rooting for him out there in the community but first things first he got paid and that's why i'm not you know i feel bad for him but i'm not gonna feel as bad as, as players who did not get paid And it's really amazing how those little differences can make such a big such a big swing in things another thing we were talking about fragility and this is a much more fragile and a high it's another like player who doesn't look that important but outcome of what will, may end up happening could be super important. And that's James Washington going down. Now, James Washington came over from the Steelers to the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, the Cowboys traded away Amari Cooper. They bring in Washington. He has a Jones fracture. And as someone who has suffered a Jones fracture in my life, which required uh, trying to let it heal just in a cast, then putting pins in, then re-injuring it and the pins getting broken, taking the pins out, putting a screw in 
having problems with irritation with the screw, not being able to run as well, having the screw taken out. I can tell you, Joe's fractures are no joke. We've heard this from many different players who have had it happen throughout the year. And almost universally, when they try to come back early, like Derrick Henry tried to come back last year and some others, they're just not going to play. They're not going to play that well. So even though you could say James Washington is down for six to ten weeks and he'll be there for the second half of the season, I'd be very surprised if he's useful at all at that point. So this is a very fragile wide receiver group that we're talking about here for the Dallas Cowboys because they lost Cooper. Michael Gallup basically laughed at the prospect that he would be able to start week one. Uh, this season so he looks like a no on week one this season and then now we have James Washington who is out so what do we got left we got Jalen Tolbert their third round rookie Uh, I was gonna say get your Jalen Tolbert rookie of the year tickets but I looked up and he's 16 to 1 which is you know it's kind of pricey honestly right there so they have Jalen Tolbert third round rookie he's an older prospect but he had a absolute smash year in his I believe which which was his super senior season or at least his senior season last year total smash year uh South Alabama so not exactly the biggest school there but so he's there Gallup's not going to play week one so your three top receivers are going to be Lamb Tolbert and Noah Brown Tolbert a third round rookie you have uh Semi Fahoko I'm not sure if I'm pronounce that correctly. He's kind of like an athletic freak guy out of Stanford, but basically did not play at all last year. And then that's it. I mean, look at the rest of these names on on the list here when, when you're going through. There's not going to be a lot there. You have Now you have Dalton Schultz, who's coming back, who's going to be playing on the tag. So they do have some stability there at tight end. But even so, if Schultz goes down or if Lamb goes down, this is going to be highly, highly, highly fragile their receivers there for Dak Prescott. And I know some people may think that Tony Pollard could get more involved in the passing game. I'll believe it when I see it, when it comes to running backs, truly working out of the slot and being productive at anything other than going two yards, three yards, four yards downfield. Anyone who can really function as a serious all field type of threat uh, as a running back out of the slot, it would be one of the firsts that you actually see someone work in that sort of fashion. So Maybe they can bring someone in, but even if they do, it's going to be slim pickings right now. So this injury, and you wouldn't think James Washington would be the biggest injury, but you combine that with the Gallup recovery, you combine that with the fact that they're already counting on a mid-round rookie from a small school to produce. You don't have a whole lot else there for Dak Prescott, which could be interesting in a division this year with the Eagles, who seem to be rising a bit with their prospects here. That is one of you know, maybe an underplayed injury there. And it, that's not going to get the hype of a Ryan Jensen injury, injury or even a Tim Patrick injury, but could have even a more um, a more severe impact on their ability to build a receiving core that Dak Prescott can really rely on. And he wasn't able to do that a lot this year. All right, guys, there's a little bit of a shorter version of the pod this week. I appreciate everyone tuning in to hear everything that I have to say here. Again, I will come at you next week with another episode with Josh Hermsmeyer discussing our bold takes. And I got some bold ones for you. For the 2022 season, go ahead, rate, review the pod, leave messages on YouTube, or go and go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review there. That'd be much appreciated. Otherwise, 
I'll be talking to everyone next week. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your week.